welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Alison Hill, State Chief Investment Officer at QIC, and each week we invite our listeners to take 10 and to get an update on economics, markets, and other topics of interest for institutional investors. And each week, I'm joined by QIC's Chief Economist, Dr. Matthew Peter. Hi, Matthew. Hi, Alison. Matthew, this week, I believe you're joining us from Singapore, where I believe QIC is open against latest international office, which must be quite an exciting event to be at. Yeah, it's a great step forward for QIC. And as you know, we've got offices, Alison, in, in the US and the UK, but this is our first office in the region, in, in Singapore, and a lot of interest about QIC opening an office here. It's The investors here are, are taking as a very good sign of our commitment to the region. So it's it's been a great event and a, and a great uh, milestone for QIC. Yeah, no, really exciting, I think, as you say. But since you're there, I imagine you've, you've been able to walk out and about a bit on the street and maybe pick up a bit of the mood. And how are investors and, and how's the mood in Asia to the extent that you can comment on that? Yeah, well, I find investors here are very cautious at the moment. They're very sensitive to China, especially here in Singapore, you know, particularly given Singapore's status as a, the financial centre of the region and also as an entrepot, a hub of trade. That really makes them very sensitive to whatever's happening, particularly in China. And that's a, they're very cautious about that at the moment. They're also much more aware of the uh, geopolitical situation. And, and I think being ethnically Chinese with their ability to sort of speak the language and, you know, their the sharing of various cultural similarities, it, 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 it heightens that sensitivity, I think. And I think it's making them quite cautious, the current situation. So we've had um, our Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, travelling in the region, and there certainly has been a lot of talk about trade relations between Australia and Asia. Any comments there? Yeah, well, I think Australia perplexes our region neighbours to some extent because of the way in which we deal with China. You know, as I said, here in Singapore in particular, but more generally, they're very cautious about China. They're very low-key in their approach to China, whereas we're sort of seen as been able to radically shift our rhetoric from one day to the next. One minute we're aggressively taking China on, we're, we're joining AUKUS, for example, and the next minute we're rebuilding trade relations. Uh, I think it, it brings a certain amount of admiration about the way in which we're, you know, willing to sort of be bold with China, but also it sort of like uh, perplexes them a little bit as well, I think. A conundrum there. You're listening to Alison Hill and QIC's Take 10 podcast. We're on discussing markets and economics with Dr. Matthew Peter. Matt, I wanted to change topics a little bit towards the CPI, which I know has been a regular discussion between us this year, but this week we have seen some data out from Australia and Europe, as well as some PCE numbers out from the from the states, and all of these, as far as the Reserve Bank is concerned, and probably the average consumer, are heading in the right direction. Some quite big downside surprises across some of those data, and that has seen uh, bond markets move. Um, and we've had seen a lot of volatility over the last couple of months in bond markets, as again we've talked about. But this sort of expectation of potentially the European Central Bank's done, the Fed is done, and you know when do rates cuts start coming through? So. It just seems there's a, a bit of movement there. How are you sort of viewing the markets and where you think rates are, rates are at at the moment in light of the more recent data? Well, I, I suppose the thing about markets at the moment and where inflation is and how central banks are reacting, and, and you mentioned the major developed central banks of uh, Europe and the US, we're starting to see a sort of shifting of where central banks are now. It's not just everyone's tightening or everyone's easing. 
So if you look at the Australian situation, you know, we had, as you mentioned, we had the CPI come out, the monthly CPI, there's a lot of volatility in that, but that pulled back to 4.9% in October from 5.6% in September. But importantly, it, uh, it came in under expectations, which were 5.2%. So that's taking some of the heat off the RBA to, to raise rates, uh, certainly the case. And, you know, the market was starting to price in rate hikes rather than rate cuts into uh, the outlook for the RBA. And as you said, this week we've seen, you know, further rate cuts being priced in for the Fed funds rate in, in the US. So we're seeing this divergence where I think the developed economies of the West are looking to accelerate uh, rate cuts compared to expectations. Here in Australia and in Japan, you know, we're still looking at the RBA and the uh, Bank of Japan uh, being on hold or maybe even raising rates. And then if you look at it in somewhere like China, where they're trying to get inflation up and the expectation is that inflation goes up rather than down over 2024, uh, again, you've, you see a different pricing of monetary policy. So we've sort of seen this dichotomy across the, uh, across the world. World. In terms of the, how that's affected the bond market, I think, is that you have seen this pullback in bond yields as we go out along the curve, if you go out to the to the uh, longer um, end of the of the yield curve. We've seen a pullback in, in yields, say, in the US and Australia over the last month. As, as you said, there's been volatility, but a pullback about 40 basis points. Yeah, now, true. that, yeah, quite material. And, and that's probably brought bond yields back more in alignment with uh, where they should be given the outlook. I think we did see an overshoot in bond yields, I'd say, the later part of this year before we saw this retracement over the last month. So I think bond markets are uh, far better priced now. In terms of is the genie, the inflation genie, back in the bottle, it's looking increasingly so to me, Alison. Well, good news for, for consumers yeah. and for central banks on that front. And may I say also potentially good news for fund managers who do like some divergence in uh, monetary policy around the globe. It provides a a richer opportunity set for, for considerations about where you might want to invest. Now, Alison, I've got a question for you because whilst I've been a bit further away from Australia here in Singapore, I know you've also been on the move and you've just come back from the uh, annual ASFA conference, which is held in Adelaide this year. And like here in, in Singapore, also at the ASFA conference, the movement in interest rates is also brought a lot of discussion about private debt. Now, private debt, of course, is an asset class which became very popular, particularly with the rise in interest rates. It was seen as an asset class where you could access a premium that probably wasn't fully exploited in the past. How are you seeing the asset class private debt? Are you seeing this retracement yields posing a threat to the thematic into private debt, or are you still quite constructive on the asset class? Thanks, Matt. Look, I agree. It's, you know, it's always important to think about the relativities across asset class. As a, as a multi-asset class investor, I have, you know, a degree of flexibility to invest where you can see the best relative risk-adjusted returns. But what is central to all asset class pricings is that, you know, is that cash rate, is that base rate. So as interest rates and, and cash rates go up, that affects all asset classes and conversely when it comes down. For me, I think private debt continues to be really uh, interesting asset class more because of the credit spread that you're picking up in private debt. Private debt is really filling a gap in large part where we've seen a lot of banks think, seeking to retrace in terms of their levels of issuance as they are facing capital adequacy changes and also just making sure that they're you know, shoring up balance sheets about where they want to focus their businesses. So, But businesses still need debt and private debt is leaning into that gap. And because of that, you know, I think you're still seeing interesting credit spreads being earned, so good risk-adjusted returns. So 
for me, look, it's definitely an area that we're continuing to explore and, and, and look to invest more in through time as part of an overall diversified balance portfolio. To the extent that, you know, as you refer to, yields are, you know, yields have had a ripper month in terms of uh, bonds have had a fantastic month as they've come back. And that's terrific. So we've also got that duration element in the portfolio as well. So it's really about us. All asset classes, I think, have a place in the portfolio, but we do think having that private debt is interesting. It provides a, a lower volatility, good income returning return stream, but I think interesting dynamics for why that risk and return is, is set to stay for a little while longer. As you point out, it's not all just about return. Of course, the base rate, as you point out, going up and down doesn't really affect the outperformance or underperformance or the uh, additional yield that you're getting over the risk-free rate. So, that, that's the same for all asset classes. But I think your point about it being a diversifier is important as well, and that's one of the key reasons I know that you were keen on the asset class, and that really doesn't go away with movements in the interest rate. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I think the story retains there, and, and those base rates affect all asset classes. Uh, it just mm-hmm. can take a different amount of time to flow through. So that relativity is important, and, and for me, just making sure that we're trying to stick to that longer-term horizon and getting you know sensible risk-adjusted returns. Mm-hmm. Matt, thank you very much for joining us today. Today is our second last podcast for the year before we take a bit of a break for Christmas. So we'll come back next week for our final Take 10 of 2023. But thank you for joining me, especially all the way from Singapore. And thanks also to our listeners for taking 10. 